Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. How's everybody doing today? Fresh off of the New Hampshire primary, which went off without a hitch. Uh, you know, pretty surprising given the uh, Iowa caucus. New Hampshire, you know, the, the votes were coming in and we were actually getting numbers on the screen as, as things were taking place. And they, you know, once the polls closed, we had results within an hour or so. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what that means for the, the Democratic Party going forward. We've also got a new piece of legislation working its way through Illinois right now that I think is a good opportunity, good teaching moment for cause and effect of government policies. And then I also want to talk a little bit about licensing. We'll see if I can get through it all today because I don't want to run. I've been running pretty long with the last couple episodes. I, I want to shorten it up a little bit. So I might have to break this up into a couple episodes, but yeah, I don't have a, a nice 10 minute rant to go on to, to start off the show. So we can pretty much dive right into things today. I guess I should start off by offering my condolences to the Yang gang. He officially dropped out as soon as the New Hampshire primaries closed, and he was not a viable candidate once again. Not much of a surprise there. I, I will miss his refreshing presence, I guess you could say, on the debate stage with these with these guys. But, you know, he was never going to run away with anything he did have a cult following but i mean it was ne everybody knew that it was a, a pipe dream um and i guess you know we're all gonna have to get our twelve thousand dollars a year the old-fashioned way they, they won't just be handing it out I mean, the Babylon Bee had a, had a pretty funny headline. It was something to the effect of, you know, Andrew Yang suspends campaign after uh, voters realize the $1,000 a month would be paid for with a $1,000 a month tax increase, <laughs> which is being generous. I mean, there is no way that the government could run a program at cost. And I did get into a little thing with somebody else in an unrelated discussion about this. And I, I, got, I just got tired of it. I stopped making arguments. It was not worth my time. But the idea that the government's going to run a program where it gives you $1,000 a month and it's only going to cost $1,000 a month is delusional. Okay. The government doesn't run at cost. There is a lot of deadweight loss there. 
okay, because they have to build the bureaucratic apparatus to collect that $1,000 and then distribute it. So it would cost five times that at least to deliver $1,000 to the American people would probably cost us $5,000 for every $1,000 they give out, which is how the government operates. It's I, I made the analogy that it's like anytime you're trying to have the government do something, it's like you're taking, and they, they always talk about, you know, we're going to tax the rich and give it to the poor or whatever. It's like taking a bucket and filling it with water from the deep end of the pool and walking to the shallow end of the pool and and pouring that bucket of water back in except that along the way you spill half the bucket on the on the patio uh, you're running really fast or something or maybe you 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 stumble and you trip and you spill half the water so the pool's getting shallower and shallower because they're pulling resources out of productive behavior out of the productive part of society and they're expending them on worthless government bureaucrats, on the whole bureaucratic apparatus. So you never come out ahead. Trying to tax yourself into prosperity is insane. It's impossible. It's like trying to stand in a bucket and lift yourself up by the handle. It's impossible. Anyway, uh, Yang dropped out of the race, and the Democratic candidates just got all the more whiter. They lost another person of color even though apparently Asians don't really count as, as people of color, I guess because they're a very successful group of people in the United States. You have to be a victim in order to qualify as a person of color, I think, on the left. We still have Tulsi Gabbard for the time being. Technically, she is also a person of color. And, you know, I don't know if one one thousand twenty fourth of Native American blood qualifies as a person of color anymore. I'd have to check with that one. But Pocahontas is still in the race as well. But it, they just keep getting older and whiter as the days go on. There's something pretty hilarious about that. <laughs> but anyways, I guess as far as the uh, New, York, uh, New Hampshire primary goes, Bernie Sanders ekes out the victory. The last two primaries have been between him and, and Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. And, you know, I, depending on what numbers you want to go with, uh, if you trust anything coming out of Iowa, I guess, at, at least for the time being, Mayor Pete slightly edged him out in delegates. But, Mayor, uh, but Bernie Sanders won the um, popular vote, as he did in New Hampshire. He's won the popular vote both times, and this time he actually uh, got more delegates as well. And then... Coming from behind, I think she was in fifth or sixth place in Iowa. She jumps to third place as Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar clinched third place, edging out Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden. You know, apparently she had a great debate performance on Friday. I will have to confess, I did not watch this debate. I could not do that to myself on a Friday night. I went out and had myself a good time, but I did ask. I asked on Twitter, and you know I don't have the biggest Twitter following yet, but it is growing. And I, I was just, can somebody please provide me with some of these clips of this great debate performance that Amy Klobuchar had? And I got no response. Not, not one. Nothing. I just can't imagine it. I have my doubts. She is terrible in these debates, and it just seems like it's something that the media is pushing now. You know, at first they pushed 
uh, what's his name, Beto O'Rourke on us. He was the next big thing. And then he turned out to be an awkward, boring disaster. So then they went to Kamala Harris and she was a flop. And that, and then they're pushing Joe Biden and he's face planning. And now it's Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> like they just keep going down the line, pushing their establishment uh, candidates on us. And nobody's interested in these people. Uh, I can't imagine anybody voting for Amy Klobuchar. But she took third place, I guess, on the back of her strong debate performance. Elizabeth Warren has been sinking like a stone almost as fast as Joe Biden. But she is she is dead on arrival. And then Joe Biden, with just a major face plant, takes fifth place. He got like 8% of the vote. All right, he is done for. It's been pretty fun to watch the coverage of this. You know, Bernie wins and the media has to try to ignore him because he is not the corporate press's pick or the establishment pick. They, they do not. It is obvious that they do not want him to win this nomination, even though he's the candidate with the most uh, support, the, the most passion behind his campaign. He does have a very passionate following and he's the only one generating a lot of excitement in the Democratic Party. But they have to try to ignore him. So I'm seeing all these headlines and all this news coverage about second and third place in these debates or in the primaries. As if the main takeaway from all these primaries is who comes in second and third place. It's, it's always hilarious to try to watch them dance around when candidates who are not the establishment type, who the establishment does not want to carry the day. They did this with Ron Paul. Every time Ron Paul would win something, they'd talk about second and third place. And, and just Biden tanking. I, I, they're starting to have to deal with this because Joe Biden was polling in first place, leading all the way up to these primaries. He was going to be the guy to take down Donald Trump because he, I don't know, he had the experience and he was Barack Obama's vice president and whatever. But I've been saying this all along. Biden was dead on arrival. I, I, I called that the second this whole election cycle took place. Uh, Johnny the Jew disagreed with me, but I'll have to check in on and see how he's doing now that Biden came in fourth place and then fifth place. I, I mean, he might as well just drop out of the race at this point. Yeah, people don't have to win those first two primaries to go on to become president, but it's fairly obvious that nobody is interested in Joe Biden. I mean, the vast majority of his appeal was that he was supposedly the guy who had the best chance at beating Trump, right? You know, he can win. Was that everybody says, we just want somebody who could beat Trump, and, and Joe Biden is that guy. He's got the best chance. He's got all the experience and whatever. Well, here's the problem. He's got to start winning something for that story to carry any weight. If that's going to be his claim to fame, that I can beat Trump, that I'm the guy to beat Trump, you can't keep coming in fourth and fifth place in these primaries. The next two it was Nevada and uh, South Carolina or something like that. He's going to come. I don't even think he's going to get third place in any of these. But at some point, you have to just admit the fact that you, you can't even win your own primary. You're not going to beat Donald Trump. And the same goes for all this talk of Obama, like his commercials and all this stuff coming out of his campaign is just so hilarious to me because he's talking about 
oh, you know, I'm Obama's guy and Obama loved me and listen to this great thing that Obama said about me eight years ago. He keeps talking about how Obama loves him, but he can't get Obama to endorse him. He can't get Obama's endorsement. So I, I, what, are we, what are we doing here? You, you say you can beat Trump, but you can't win anything. You say Ob you're Obama's guy. Obama won't come out and say you're his guy. We're just going to take your word for it. For how long? For how long? You're an old, senile guy who represents everything that the, the energetic base of the Democratic Party resents now, which is an old white guy. It's just not going to happen. The truth is, Joe Biden has no reason to run for president other than the fact that he wants to be president. And that's another one of his problems, that he doesn't have a reason. There's, there's nothing to inspire excitement and passion among voters. And you can't even beat Donald Trump. I don't think you could. I think he would embarrass you up on the debate stage. If you had it just between the two of them and Joe Biden has to talk for extended periods of time, I mean, he's just going to stand up there. He'll go through like 30 seconds and then just keep yielding his time back to Donald Trump because he's going to run out of things to say and lose his train of thought. So anyway, Joe Biden is just base planting and the media is starting to have to come to grips with this. And that's why I think they're starting to push Amy Klobuchar. She hasn't face planted yet, I guess. She's just the, the next best thing. I, you know, I got to watch Amy Klobuchar after coming in third place give her speech to uh, America, trying to tell us that she's Donald Trump's worst nightmare. <laughs> Amy Klobuchar is Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, no, no. She is Donald Trump's wet dream, okay? She's not a nightmare. He is salivating at the, at the, the thought of going up, up against Amy Klobuchar in a debate. I mean, she, she's just terrible at these debates, which is why I want to see this supposedly great performance. I guess I could look up some clips, but I just don't hate myself that much, and I, I just can't bring myself to do it. But she's, she has never not looked just nervous, uncomfortable, awkward. She has this shaky voice, like she's on the verge of tears all the time. She's terrible in these debates, just awful. I can't imagine, like everybody else must have just been so bad that she didn't look terrible. But I still, I would love to see the clip. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction, go ahead and tweet at me. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. You're, you're really missing out. Not, I, I've got the greatest meme folder on the face of the earth. I would put it up against anybody's. And that's basically all I do on Twitter is drop memes and... uh the occasional Twitter spat, I guess. But yeah, send me these videos of Amy Klobuchar just dominating in these debates. Because until I see that, I'm just going to assume that this is the establishment's way of getting the media to push another pathetic candidate on the American people. And I, I, she will be a flash in a pan. She never has anything compelling to say. Just the same, you know, tired old lines about how she's going to unite the party and get stuff done and reach across the aisle. I mean, look, Democrats, the mainstream Democrats and the establishment and the corporate press, they still think that you can run for president using these old, dated strategies where you speak in these political platitudes 
and you're just all fake. You're like a cardboard cutout of a person. You act all proper and you talk about your legislation and blah, 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 blah. Those days are gone. Okay, they're gone. Donald Trump broke that system, probably irreparably broke that system. I don't see how we go back to those days where these unauthentic, like robotic politicians generate any enthusiasm from the American people. Left or right, it doesn't matter. The American people are craving authenticity now, and they love a winner, okay? They love a winner. Donald Trump, like him or hate him, he's a fucking winner, okay? He wins. He he was like a real estate guy, became a real estate mogul, uh, decides to start TV shows, has unbelievable success with TV shows, dips his foot in the political arena, and wins the presidency the first time takes down the Bushes and the Clintons. Like, this guy's a winner. I- I'm sorry. I know people hate him, uh, like him, hate him, whatever. He's a winner, and America loves a winner. Amy Klobuchar is not a fucking winner, okay? She doesn't ooze winning. She doesn't project winning at all. She projects scared, nervous, awkward loser. She looks like a loser, and believe me, uh, uh, she looks like a loser on the debate stage with a bunch of other Democrats throwing, so- getting softball questions and, and fighting each other with the kid gloves on. Wait till she gets, if she gets the nomination, wait till she gets on a debate stage with Trump. And if you don't think that Donald Trump is going to pick up on the fact that she projects this nervous, awkward loser mentality and exploit it, you're delusional. I mean, Donald Trump's ability to just sum up a person's life or their aura in a couple of words, you know, a nickname, it's incredible. I don't know how he does it, but he just comes up with these things that just perfectly encapsulates what a person's aura is, if you will. A couple, you know, low energy Jeb, (laughs) sleepy Joe Biden, crooked Hillary. I mean... Donald Trump is a brander. Okay, that's what he does. He will brand Amy Klobuchar with something that she will never be able to come back from. We just don't know what it is yet because nobody's been thinking about Amy Klobuchar. She's an afterthought. He hasn't had to brand her yet. But if she wins another, if she comes in third in a couple more primaries or whatever, he'll brand her. He'll, he'll give her something, and then that will be that. That will be the end of her. Her on the debate stage with Donald Trump looming behind her. Remember when he was just sort of lurking around uh, Hillary Clinton when she was up there? That got Hillary Clinton rattled, okay? A lizard person, an alien from another dimension, and she couldn't handle it. You think Amy Klobuchar, all nervous, crackly, cracking voice, is shaking up there, can handle Donald Trump? Get out of here. Get out of here. She's already unbelievably uncomfortable just standing up there behind a podium. Wait till they do that thing where they change the venue and they either like sit side by side or or like they like walk around each other in a circle. They're going to do some weird shit like that. It, it's going to be the meme. I can't wait just for the meme material alone. Remember when it, it looked like. You know, if you took Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump and, and put the, the pictures up and the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, it was just unbelievably hilarious. 
And something like that would happen with Amy Klobuchar, and it would just be over. I mean, the corporate press can push her on the American people all they want, like she, like they tried to do with Beto and Kamala and then Biden. I don't think people are going to buy this. There's no chance. And like I said, she has no reason for running other than the fact that she wants to be president as well. And she's a woman. <laughs> okay? She doesn't inspire any of the passion that a Bernie Sanders does. And, you know, I'm not sure if maybe she's picking up a lot of uh, Elizabeth Warren's support. You know, Elizabeth Warren has been tanking in the polls in recent weeks. May, I, I haven't decided whether or not Democratic voters that, that support Elizabeth Warren are doing it because she's far left or because she's a woman. And, I mean, that can make a big difference because if, if you're supporting her because you believe in all this socialist nonsense, well, then it, it makes sense that you would go over to the Bernie Sanders camp and, and Bernie Sanders would get all that support. But I don't know. Democrats put a lot of stock in this whole woman thing. They love gender. They love race. They want to break that glass ceiling, right? So maybe a lot of Elizabeth Warren's support is going over to the next woman in the race, and that's Amy Klobuchar. Maybe she's picking up a lot of that. I don't know. I guess only time will tell. Speaking of uh, Elizabeth Warren, I almost thought she was going to drop out of the race after last night, too, because she was giving this speech, and she's... You know, it sounded like uh, I'm dropping out of this race speech. She's going on and on about how, you know, we the Democrats, we need to unite the party and, and all that stuff. And it would just make sense that after saying we need to unite the party, therefore, I'm going to step down and end my campaign. <laughs> that seemed like the next logical words to come out of her mouth. But no, no. She's going to unite the party by staying in the race and either splitting the Amy Klobuchar vote or the Bernie Sanders vote and, and keep this going. <laughs> How much longer? Only time will tell. But, yeah, I, you know, I've said all along that Pocahontas had no chance. Joe Biden had no chance. I think that's become blatantly obvious, even if you don't put, a, you know, a lot of stock in these primaries. The wind is not blowing in their direction. Okay, it is Bernie Sanders is clearly the front runner. And then you just have to decide whether or not Mayor Pete can pick up enough of that middle of the ground, middle ground support or whatever, the the uh, more moderate wing of the Democratic base. I, I don't see Amy Klobuchar doing that. But maybe it might come down to Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar and, and then Bernie Sanders. And those two Klobuchar and, and Mayor Pete are going to have to figure out how to unite the party behind one of those candidates. But if they don't, you know, and if Elizabeth Warren stays in this, we could end up with a contested uh, convention. Nobody gets the, um, is it, I think it's 1,990 delegates. Is that right? Hang on. Yeah, 1,990 delegates is needed to secure the nomination. So Elizabeth Warren may be right that they need to unite the party behind one of these candidates. But if, if all these people stay in and they keep splitting this vote because you have a clear split in the Democratic Party between the more moderate voters and then the young socialist voters, right? And it, it's very clear that all of the young support is going to go to Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's got young people very riled up. He doesn't have a lot of black support, though. 
Joe Biden had black support, but I think they're going to start to jump ship now that it, the writing's on the wall that he can no longer beat Donald Trump. So who are they going to vote for now? I, I don't know. I don't know, but may, they're not going to vote for Mayor Pete, so maybe they will go to Bernie Sanders. Uh, Mayor Pete is having a tremendous time trying to get black people to vote for him. And I've gone over my thoughts on that in previous episodes, so I don't want to beat that to death. But it's entirely possible that we end up with a contested convention and the Democratic establishment can use that to screw Bernie Sanders out of this nomination. I I think that might be the plan. They're going to try to keep all these people in there long enough to, to steal votes from Bernie Sanders so that they can get to this contested convention and figure out a way to manipulate the rules or whatever to screw him out of this thing even though he's probably their best chance. I think he still presents the toughest matchup for Donald Trump, and he's the only one that people are actually passionate about. You look at his rallies, he's got a ton of people there. The young people, here's the thing, right? Historically, the problem with a Bernie Sanders is that, yes, he gets young people to support him, but young people don't tend to vote. Not like old people vote. And there are still a lot of old people who are Democrats, more moderate Democrats, who who are old enough to remember all of these failed socialist experiments and who who may be never Bernie voters because they will not vote for an open socialist. I don't know if that's going to hold true in these elections because of the fact that young people... You know, they didn't used to always have anything at stake in these elections because you're young, you're not making any money, so you're not paying any taxes, and you don't, you know, nothing really affects you politically. So you're not as motivated to go out and vote like old people are older, wealthy people who pay a lot of taxes or who, who are dependent on all of these government programs Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, things like that. Uh, they, they go out and vote in droves. See, the government has put young people in a position now that they're totally dependent on the government. What, what did the Democrats do to young people? Well, they've saddled them with student loan debt. What they've done to kids now, they, they make you believe that you have to go to college no matter what or your life is over. And they've subsidized student loans. They've loaned directly to these students now. They have made school so unaffordable through the government loan system, that they take on hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt just to get a worthless degree. And then they graduate with no marketable skills. They know nothing. In fact, a lot of these gender studies people are actually dumber coming out of college than going in. So now they are dependent on the government because the government has enabled them to go into debt to purchase worthless education degrees. And now they can't get a job. They have no chance of paying back this debt. There is more student loan debt right now than there was subprime mortgage debt at the height of the financial crisis. The student loan debt right now is over $1.6 trillion. Okay, that is an insane amount of money. That is insane. There's no chance any of this is getting paid back. And unlike with the housing crisis, you know, when you have a mortgage, there's at least an underlying asset there that has some value. You have a house. So you default on that debt. You can at least take the house back. 
But where's the asset with a college degree, with a gender studies degree? There's nothing there. There is no underlying asset. This is all just nothing. This is a disaster. And Bernie's looking at them and say, hey, I'm going to wipe away all your student debt. That mortgage payment that you have now, you took on a mortgage payment, you have no house, I'm going to wipe that away. So now young people are highly motivated to, to vote. And on top of that, young people are the ones that are the most, um, that, that suffer the most from Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, these people are going crazy. They, they, they are not, they've been completely brainwashed at all these colleges that, to think that Donald Trump is uniquely evil. The corporate press has a big hand in this too. So now he's literally Hitler. So they're, they're motivated on that front because Donald Trump is the most evil thing to ever walk the face of the earth. And Bernie Sanders is going to wipe away all the debt that Bernie Sanders and all of his ideas saddled them with in the first place. It's the perfect example of what Harry Brown used to talk about. Government breaks your legs, hands you a crutch, and then says, see, if it weren't for the government, you wouldn't be able to walk. I mean, this, this whole student debt problem is 100% government-made. And I've gone over this in previous episodes. I don't have time to get it into it today. But I've broken down this student loan problem, and the government is 100% responsible for it. So go back and listen to those episodes. But in typical government fashion, the, the government has buried these students in crippling debt, crippling education debt, for worthless degrees that they can't expel in bankruptcy. You're stuck with it until you die. And then they offered to wipe it out in exchange for their vote. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see if that old dynamic holds where young people show all this support in polls and things like that. They go to rallies or whatever. Do they actually show up on election day? I, I don't know the answer to that. It, this will be the determining factor. Whether or not the government has gotten them dependent enough that they will actually have something to lose now during these elections. I think this election will tell us that. And if, if they're going to vote for anybody, it's going to be Bernie because he appeals to the young, naive college kids that don't know any better, that apparently went through 20-plus years of government education and never learned the failures of socialist ideology. Uh, they would be far better off just listening to my podcast uh, twice a week they would learn so much more about politics, economics, and, and it would be free. <laughs> they wouldn't have uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Anyway, so yeah, we, we could see a contested convention, and that's not going to be good for Bernie. You don't want to give the uh, DNC any opportunity to screw you over again. And like Hillary Clinton said, nobody likes Bernie. Nobody likes Bernie, and no, when she says nobody, obviously she's just talking about the political establishment, right? The, nobody in the DNC likes Bernie. And why don't they like him? You know, it's not because he's, he's an asshole or anything like that, which he probably is. He certainly comes off as an asshole in a lot of uh, what I've seen, his interactions with people. He is a very uh, angry old man, and he's very mean to people that disagree with him. But I, I think, you know, he's always been against these, the military-industrial complex. He's not quick with his finger on the trigger to just launch attacks at people overseas 
kill innocent people. So, you know, he's got he's got that that part in him that a lot of politicians don't have where he's got some qualms about just killing people for for, for government purposes. So there's that. And then there's a real fear that he actually believes all of this crap that he talks about, all of this socialism, democratic socialism stuff. You know, I know he doesn't personally live his life by those principles, but he seems to actually believe that these are good ways of organizing society. Like Elizabeth Warren, uh, Mayor P, uh, all these guys, they talk about democratic socialism, but do they really believe it in their heart of hearts? Is Elizabeth Warren a socialist? I don't think so. At least not to the extent that Bernie Sanders is. Bernie Sanders went to the Soviet Union just before they collapsed. <laughs> a, couple, a year before, a few months before. I forget how close it was to the monumental collapse of the Soviet Union. And he comes back singing their praises. Oh, you should see. They've got this great transportation system. And they've got these theater. You can go see a theater show for $1.50 or something like that. He's singing their praises right before they collapse. Right before it. He honeymooned there. He went on a honeymoon to the Soviet Union. Obviously the most romantic place on earth, right? It's gray, desolate poor, it's cold, it's depressed, it's Russia. Who goes to Russia on their honeymoon? <laughs> this is the kind of guy that Bernie Sanders is. So he really gets into this stuff, and that scares the Democratic establishment. They, they don't think that's going to pull well, and it probably won't. It probably won't with the older generation. Yeah, anytime Bernie is praising your country, look out because he is the canary in the coal mine. He comes back, praises the Soviet Union, Soviet Union collapses. Oh, look how great Venezuela is doing. Venezuela collapses. I mean, like the second he starts to get interested in what you're doing, you're done for because you're literally doing everything wrong. And it's only a matter of time before you embark on the epic collapse of not real socialism, right? But as crazy as old Bernie is, I still think he's the best matchup against Trump. I think he presents the, the hardest uh, obstacle for him, just in terms of popularity and his message, because they're both going to be promising things to voters, but Bernie Sanders is just going to promise more, right? And, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't see somebody like a Mayor Pete garnering a lot of passion. He, he's just so boring and, and so stiff. He's like the old way of doing politics, and I just don't see that playing well. I still think the big story here is that Joe Biden is just done for. He, he didn't even stick around after New Hampshire. Joe Biden is done. He should just drop out now and go back to enjoying his golden years. Before full-blown Alzheimer's kicks in, just enjoy yourself. He is going nowhere in this. I don't, I don't see any path forward for him. I never did. And uh, I, I'm going to take a victory lap already after two primaries. We'll see if he can make me eat my words later on, but I highly doubt that. And Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, you know, the, the thing is that it's always a, a better position to be in politically when you have a positive message where it's like you have a, a reason for running and that reason is positive. It's not just, oh, well, we have to beat Trump. It's 
like, look what all these things I can do for you is. This is our destiny and, and come support me. Don't come out and vote against Trump. Come and vote for me. And Bernie Sanders has that. I don't think Amy Klobuchar or Mayor Pete does. And, and that's going to be a big problem for them should they get the nomination and they're going up against Donald Trump, who, by the way, has been crushing it at these primaries. Like he is, I, obviously he's not really running against anybody, but the amount of people that are coming out to vote for Trump is like dwarfing the amount of people that came out to vote for like Obama in these previous primaries. Like he, he has, he got 120,000 votes, <laughs> over a hundred thousand votes among Republicans and independent voters, which is more than double what Obama got in 2012 among New Hampshire Democrats when he ran uncontested. So there is a lot of momentum against, uh, for Trump. And, and you look at these rallies, like he's filling up arenas. People are camping out the night before Trump has a rally. I've never seen anything like this. And his rallies, they're like um, per huge performances. They're like concerts or something. I, I don't know, uh, stand-up comedy. It's like a cross between stand-up comedy and a political speech. And people are going crazy for him. A lot of times incumbents sort of, um, they lose a lot of enthusiasm over the years. But man, Donald Trump had one of the best couple of weeks in his um, history as president with this whole impeachment thing falling apart. The Iowa caucus debacle. Like he's crushing it right now. His poll numbers have never been higher. And you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because he's got a lot of momentum behind him. The people that are voting for him are not voting against a Bernie Sanders or against uh, a Mayor Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar. They are voting for Donald Trump. Like, he's got that positive message I was just talking about. Anyway, that, that's enough of that. One of the other things I, I wanted to talk about today is this bill in Illinois, my home state, an Illinois lawmaker wants to ban drivers from pumping their own gas. And of course, as usual, it's a safety issue. <laughs> okay, it's a safety issue. Apparently pumping gas is just too goddamn difficult for us everyday Americans. You know, which is funny because we're expected to do all of these complicated things, understand all of these complicated policies and we have all this responsibility to vote for our politicians, our wise overlords in Washington. But we can't seem to manage to figure out how to pump our own gas with, without hurting ourselves. Uh, okay. I'll just read from this article. This is ABC News. Melitos on Fullerton Avenue in Chicago is one of the last remaining full-service gas stations in the city. I'm always busy running around, and especially winter in Chicago. It's the best, said Sandra Lopez, a driver. <laughs> and it could be the law of the land if proposed bill sponsored by State Representative Camille Lilly of Oak Park, which calls for banning motorists from pumping their own gas, becomes law. Pump the gas, check the fluids and the tires, and all of that, full service, said Rafael Mendez, Melito gas station attendant. House Bill 4571 would create the Gas Station Attendant Act, <laughs> which states no gas may be pumped at any gas station in Illinois unless it's pumped by a gas station attendant. 
New Jersey is the only state with such a law following fire safety concerns. Oregon loosened restrictions on its mandatory law two years ago. Uh, my sister lives in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, and, and yeah, they used to have to, I, I don't know how loose the restrictions got now, but you couldn't pump your own gas there either. Anyway, back to the article. Lily could not be reached for comment, but some motorists had plenty to say. I think it's great, especially if it's cold out or you have kids in the car, which I usually do, said Jennifer, a motorist. I prefer to pump my own gas, said Colleen Day, a motorist. I don't really want to pay, for, pay more to have someone do something that I'm fully capable of doing. Proponents say there's a possibility more jobs could, could be created, but at a cost. The price at Melito's full-service gas pump is about 50 cents higher per gallon. Some self-service gas stations say the bill is a bad idea and would not only drive up the price of gas, but also security costs. People probably have to tip, or they usually do, and the price of gas will go up tremendously, said Alex Garcia, pride of Chicago BP Amico. The bill is currently in the House Rules Committee. The bill has to survive several more steps before the possibility of being signed into law. If it is signed into law, it will go into effect January 2021. Okay. So, you know, the article touches on a couple of these points where, yeah, the price of gas would go up, right? That should just be obvious to anybody. And great, if you want to pay more for your gas because you want the luxury of staying in your car and not having to do any work, that's fine, but make that optional. Don't force your belief system, don't force your preferences on everybody else. What is that impulse? Make it optional. You don't make it mandatory. And if for some reason the gas station that you frequent doesn't have that option, well, whose fault is that? Why isn't that option there? And, and this is why I, why I wanted to talk about this, is because this is all, once again, a government-created problem. And now they're trying to taper over it with another government solution. Because why don't we have pump jockeys anymore? Why aren't there a bunch of teenage kids working in gas stations, pumping your gas, washing your windows, checking your oil, without you having to subsidize their employment and pay extra money for your gas? That used to be the way it worked. You pulled into a gas station, the guy came out, he pumped your gas, he checked your fluids, he washed your windows, and you gave him a couple bucks. That guy, he might have just been working for tips. But the thing is, while he was doing that, you know, in between, because you don't have a constant line of cars coming in for gas. There are slow times at a gas station. So while that kid's there at the gas station, and there's no gas to pump, one of the mechanics at the gas station would say, hey, you want to learn how to change a tire? You want to learn how to check the, uh, how to change the oil? You want to learn how to do this on the car, how to do that on the car? And they develop some more skills, some more marketable skills that they could then use to command higher wages. So maybe they were making four or five bucks an hour, right? And they had no skills. They didn't know how to work on cars, but they knew how to pump gas. I mean, every, despite what these idiots in Washington think, we know how to pump gas. It's not very hard. You pick up the nozzle, you put it in the gas tank, and you pull the trigger, and gas comes out. Okay, I think we can all handle that. So you can't, if that job, if literally anybody can do it, we're all capable of doing that. It doesn't take any special skills. Well, then you can't, pay somebody a lot of money to do that. 
because anybody can do it. But what you can do is in between pumping gas, you teach them how to work on cars. You teach them how to do things to the vehicle that not everybody can do, specialized things. And then, you know, maybe they become a mechanic after a few years or eventually years down the line, maybe they open up their own garage and they work on cars. Maybe that whole thing, that whole experience of working in a gas station fostered this passion for cars. It, they had a little, you know, they liked cars. They liked being around cars. They were somewhat interested in them. And then getting to work on it under the tutelage of a trained mechanic, developing these skills over time allowed them to make more and more money so they could stay at that job, learning things, developing skills, and, and they develop a real passion for it. And somewhere down the line, who knows? They, they start their own garage or they do something else related to cars that would have never taken place had they not gotten that job. Now, why wouldn't they have gotten that job? Well, one piece of legislation, the minimum wage. That's why we don't have pump jockeys anymore. They priced that job out of the marketplace because you can't pay somebody $7.50 an hour to pump gas. You just can't do it. It's not economically feasible for gas stations to do that or whatever the minimum wage is. So now the, those teenagers don't get that job. They never work in the gas station. They never get to work on cars in, uh, in between customers. They never get to foster that passion for vehicles and, and learn something for free or get paid to learn something like an apprenticeship. You're, you're learning from a mechanic firsthand on the job training. That never happens. And, you know, a friend of when I was growing up, my best friend worked at a gas station when we were we were teenagers. Right. Yeah. I think we were probably in high school at this point. He worked at a gas station. He, he learned how to do things on the cars after he was done pumping gas, checking oil, washing windows, things like that. Uh, me personally, I went the paint store route. <laughs> we both had an uncanny ability to choose um not the uh, sexiest of jobs, I guess, as far as, you know, we, we didn't get to be lifeguards on the beach and just sit in the sun all day. Now we were doing actual like dirty labor. But when I started at the, at the paint store, I, I didn't have any skills. I was, like, I was like 15, 16 years old. They hired me as like a stock boy. I, I was unloading trucks, stocking shelves, putting price tags on paintbrushes and things like that. But as time went on, in between customers, in between trucks, you know, after I was done unloading a truck and everything was put away, we had some downtime. The boss calls me aside and he's like, hey, you want to learn how to, how to tint a gallon of paint? Here you go. Once I got the hang of that and I learned how to do that, it's like, okay, you've done a really good job of that. You want to start helping some customers. And like, this is how we help customers. And this is that. And this is how the computer system works. And once you get good at that, then it's like, hey, you want to learn how to match colors? You want to learn how to match paint? Like people come into paint stores all the time. You've probably done this if you're a homeowner. You bring in something and you'd be like, here's, a, here's the light switch plate from my bedroom. I need a gallon of this color. Uh, okay, how do you match that? Well, you have to develop an eye for color. You have to learn how the colors interact with each other. It's like, oh, I need a little more yellow or I need a little more red or I need a little more blue in here to match that. And you go and you learn how to do that. And that is a highly sought after skill in paint stores because what separates a good paint store from a bad paint store? It's basically two things. The, the information that you can convey to 
to novice painters. They come in with problems and you have to explain to them how to fix it, you know, things like that, which is is more um, knowledge on the job knowledge that you gain just from listening to experienced employees explain things to customers. You learn a lot about uh, paint, stain, things like that, but also matching colors. That is a big thing in paint stores and that like you charge a premium for that and anybody that can match colors is highly sought after at paint stores Um, maybe not so much anymore when I was sort of getting out of it we were getting these computers that would do it but even then a lot of times the the computer formula had to be adjusted by eye afterwards anyway uh, long story short you know when I started out there I was making like six bucks an hour maybe 650 something like that But over time, as I gained new skills that I would have only gained if I was given the first entry-level position that the minimum wage would have eliminated had it been higher than $6.50 an hour, I think that was the minimum wage at the time. But if it was $7, I don't get that job, okay? But I learned all of these skills over time that allowed me to command higher and higher wages. And when I got to college... The first thing I did was get a job at the local paint store. You know, I walked in. I was like, I'm looking for work. And I said, hey, you know, we're looking to hire somebody. Do you have any experience? I said, yeah, I worked at this paint store for four years. I, I know how to, I know, I know your product. I know Benmore Paints. I know Pittsburgh Paints, Morallo. I, I know Stain. I, I know how to match colors. I, I can do all of this stuff. The guy called me back within an hour of me talking to him and offered me a job at twice what I was making back in Chicago when I was in high school. They, they were paying me almost 15 bucks an hour to do a job that I started doing at, at 650 an hour a, a few years before that. So I was able to command over twice the wage that I started out at simply because I got that entry-level position and I developed on-the-job training and more marketable skills that made me a more valuable employee. I could produce more for my employer, therefore they could pay me more money. There was no other job that I could have just walked into the building and gotten that kind of money starting out when I was in college. I I would have had to start at the bottom rung again. The minimum wage prices out that entry-level position so that people never get these jobs. They never get that first job. It's like a ladder. And I know I've talked about this on the show before, but I think it's important to go over these issues when we have real-life examples of it. If you think of the job ladder, all the minimum wage does is eliminate those bottom rungs, which makes it harder to climb up, right? If you take the the first five rungs off of the ladder, now all of a sudden it's not just this easy climb from the ground up. You have to like jump and grab that first rung. It's hard to do. Not everybody can jump that high. So you can't get that first job, you can't develop more marketable skills, and you can't command higher wages. And now the government has to pass a law forcing people to hire you, forcing people to overpay for a position that they destroyed through their legislation in the first place. They eliminated the possibility of this pump jockey job existing, right, by passing minimum wage legislation. They effectively made it illegal to be a pump jockey, okay? And now, now they're passing a law forcing gas stations to hire these pump jockeys and forcing people to use them, okay? It's another great example of the government breaking your legs, handing you a crutch, and then saying, see, if it weren't for government, 
you you wouldn't be able to be a pump jockey anymore. Uh, okay, so what's going to happen here with with these pump jockeys now? If they if they pass this bill in Illinois, yeah, the price of gas is going to go up for everyone. Everyone will have to pay more for their gas. We are all less free as a, as a result. They are eliminating choices for us to make in the marketplace. Every time they pass legislation, we become less free. They are making it illegal for you to pump your own gas. They seem to think that they can tell businesses what they have to do. Another loss of freedom. The government just gets to decide who you have to hire, what positions you have to fill, and how you serve your customers. What role of that? Where does it say that's the role of government? And ask yourself, is that the role we want a government playing in our lives? I don't think it is. The unintended consequences of this alone are enough to suggest otherwise. And it's totally regressive. I mean, these politicians claim to be all for poor people. Like, who is more hurt by this? You know, the Joe Sixpack guy who has to put gas in his truck to get to work, who ends up having to pay 50 cents more a gallon for full service? even though he doesn't want to, or some rich guy in his BMW who, who would have already been using this service maybe, didn't want, to get, didn't want to get his hands dirty pumping his own gas, didn't want to smell like gasoline, didn't want to get out of his car in the cold. Oh, okay, let them do that voluntarily. Why does everything have to be a law? And who do these politicians think they are to decide for us what's best, the best way for us to get gas into our car? Why don't you let us decide? I thought we were grown people. I thought we were free people. I thought we were adults capable of making decisions that are in our best interest. Is that who we are? Or are we just sheep that need to be led by these wise overlords, by all these bureaucrats who just know what's best for us? And where does this principle end? Where, where do we stop the government making decisions in our everyday lives? Should they tell us what kind of food we should eat, where we have to shop, how we organize our lives, what kind of house we can live in? Like, where does this end? How far does this go? You know, if every state decided to do this, colleges would get in on this scam and start offering gas pumping degrees for $100,000 a pop. Then... Kids can go into debt. They can take on tens of thousands of dollars in debt to get a minimum wage job that they used to be able to get in high school. We can all pay more for gas and be forced to use services we may or may not want to use. And politicians can pretend that they're helping us. This is a brilliant plan. Brilliant plan. Or how about we just eliminate the minimum wage? Okay, People who want to pump gas can pump gas People who want to have people pump their gas for them, who want to stay in their car, want their, their gas pumped, their wa- windows washed, they can pay a premium, a slight premium to do that, and everybody else that wants to pump their own gas can pump their own gas. I mean, this used to be a free country, right? This is a great example of how free we are today. Can you pump your own gas? Nope, nope, there's a law that says you can't do that now. And this is not just about pumping your own gas. This is about individual rights, individual freedom, and the role of government. We have to, I mean, we have some pretty big decisions to make as a country of what we want the role of government to be in our lives. Do we want it to be what Bernie Sanders says, 
where the government provides everything for us. They provide school. They provide housing. They provide medical care. And it's all quote-unquote free. Is that what we think the role of government should be? Or do we want a more limited government? Do we want a government that has few and defined enumerated powers, as our founding documents suggest? We want a government that just provides protection from our rights being infringed, if you think that's even possible. Maybe they protect us from foreign invaders and things like that. They provide police and fire and a court system. Or, you know, maybe we want to take that a little farther and say we shouldn't have any government at all, that this whole society can be organized voluntarily. These are the questions you should be asking yourself during this election. And I guess, in a sense, Joe Biden's initial commercial was right. You know, a fight for the soul of our country or whatever the hell he said. Who do you want to be? What, what sort of country do you want to be? Do you want to be one that's completely dependent on a government to provide you with things? You get to fight over the crumbs that government provides for you. Or do you want to be free individuals who are in control of your future, where it's up to you uh, to decide? Your future is in your hands, and you're not dependent on anyone for your success or your failure. I think it should be obvious where I fall <laughs> in terms of these questions, but it should be equally obvious that the closer we move toward freedom, the more prosperous people become. And the closer we move toward a totalitarian government that controls every aspect of your lives, the less free you get, the more people are, are trapped in a cycle of poverty. And if it's not obvious to you yet, it will be if you continue to listen to this show. Anyway, I'm going to wrap there. That's our show for today, guys. If you like this episode and you've been enjoying the podcast, do me a favor. Go on to iTunes. Give me a rating and review. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. Share the show with two of your friends. Uh, two people. I don't think that's a tall order. Two people that you think might be receptive to this message. Go ahead and send it to them. All right? Follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that, I will be back in a few days to do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that surface.